0: Buenos días, familia de fe. Me llamo González y es un gozo mío de alabar contigo. Es un placer mío de estudiar la palabra del Señor. Good morning, my family of faith. It is such a joy for me to be here and to worship the Lord with you and to be able to open up his word together. Man, if you're sitting at home right now, if you're sitting in the sanctuary, I so hope that you've been able to uh, be able to just see what God has been doing in our church. It has been so awesome to be a part of that together. And I just wanna let you know that I'm one of the new pastors here if I haven't met you. And my name is Misael Gonzalez. And, and if you can't say it with that accent, that's okay. You can say Misael, L. It's okay, you'll get it with practice, I promise you. Uh, So I'm one of the new teaching pastors, and man, God has just done some tremendous stuff in our church. And we've gotten a small little taste of what it looks like to do ministry in the context of language, to do ministry in English and in Spanish. And we've seen that a little bit with the food distribution. It's been so awesome to go there and to do things in English and Spanish and to serve in English and Spanish, because truly, that's what we are to do. What we're doing in our vision, if you allow me to share a little bit, is truly injecting Spanish into all that we do. Injecting Spanish into what we're already doing. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is communicate this great King Jesus Christ and his great message, which is the gospel, in ways in which people can communicate and understand and and seep into their souls. And so that's what we want to do. And practically, I want to let you know how this is going to work out. We're not going to start a Hispanic church. We're not going to start Hispanic ministry, and you don't have a Hispanic pastor. I mean, I am Hispanic, but it's not like my title's Hispanic pastor, okay? That's not what we're doing. What we are doing is that we're going to add on some small groups, which is always awesome. We're going to add on a service, and that's going to be awesome, but it's going to be in Spanish. And some of us are going to be able to understand that, and some of us are not. That's okay. That's just how we're made. It's fine. But that's just so cool that we get to walk in this gospel adventure together in the context of language. Because my hope and my dream is that whether someone speaks English or Spanish, they will be able to praise the Lord, be encouraged. Because I'm hoping that if we're in a room that we speak English, that we're white, black, brown, red, yellow, green, orange. And I'm hoping that if we're in a service that's in Spanish, that we have white, brown, yellow, green, orange, black, red, whatever you want to say. Because we do ministry in which people communicate. And look, here's the thing, guys. I can eat some chicken fried steak, and you can eat some tacos. Okay, we can cross that cultural barrier. It's fine. Okay, but we have to communicate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't love tacos? So we're in this series, The Gospel Adventure, right? In this series, we've been looking at these transformational stories of people. And so today we're looking at the woman at the well, but if you're new with us, uh, or if you just forgot, and that's okay, I'm going to give you a small little recap of what does this gospel adventure term even mean. And so the gospel adventure really is this adventure that we are all in as soon as we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it finds its beginning in the recognition of who we are as sinners and who Jesus is. And then it continues with, with this uh, declaration of who we are and who Jesus is. And then it finds its, its moment, its transformational moment for eternity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That he is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, and will one day be the one that we glorify forever and ever and ever for eternity. And so that is our series, The Gospel Adventure. And this is uh, our last uh, passage in that. That's so cool. And so before we get into some really necessary background, I wanna just ask a really silly question uh, that will probably not be funny, but that's okay. Do you guys know anybody that just loves to drink milk straight from the gallon? Just straight from the gallon, and if you do, please point them out right now. If you're at home, point them out. Just point them out. Or if you're close to a keyboard, just type their name in so everyone can see. And if you're in here, yeah, there you go. Points. It's like, okay, yeah, you're the weird guy. You're the weird guy. Okay. No, seriously. So I have a, I have a friend that just he loves to drink milk straight from the gallon because here's a whole argument, right? Because I'm pouring in this milk. So if you if you look at the screen, you have this, this little image of just pouring in the milk, and someone there just trying to have my milk, and he comes walking in and he's like, dude, why are you not drinking from the gallon? And I'm like, it's just not what you do. And so he has this whole argument why it's like 100% better to drink straight from the source, which is this gallon of milk. And he will never use a cup because he just tells me time again, hey, it's better from the source. It's better from the source. And I look at him and I just want to say, man, do you understand that if you really just want to get straight to the source, just buy a cow. Okay, just buy a cow. Look at these cows. Just come on. Look at that. How about the other one? Look at that. Just, just get one of those guys. Hey, just get one of those guys and just buy a cow because I don't think you understand that the actual source is the cow and not the gallon of milk, okay? And so what I want to tell him is that look, the cup and the gallon, that is just a source. It's not the source. And so when we look at this passage of what's going on, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm not a source of life. I am the source of life. I am the source of eternal life. And so as we look at this passage, that's really the sermon title for us is that Jesus is the source. He is the one that we go to, and this is so important for us. And so John, one thing we have to realize, and here's the thing, I'm not gonna bore you with all these details of the unique characteristics of John, because there's a lot, but the one that's important for us today is that he uses this word life about 37 times in his gospel. He uses life, and it's usually associated with eternal life about half of the time. And so he uses this word life, and that's important for us because this is what Jesus is talking about. is this life. And so as you look at the first verses with me, verses 1 through 6, we see a little bit of background that Jesus had heard the Pharisees talk about, hey, you know, John's baptizing, Jesus baptizing, like what's going on here? So Jesus hears that and he goes, okay, I find it fitting to go to Galilee. And so he does. And so Jesus is here, Galilee's over here, and Samaria is somewhere in the middle. And so it says that Jesus had to go to Samaria, that he had to go. Well, in reality, he kind of didn't because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't really mix well. The Jews thought the Samaritans were like unclean pagans and like they just don't know how to do things. And we're just not going to mess with them. We're not going to mix together. So what the Jews would do is that they would literally walk around Samaria to get to Galilee. And so really the normal way would be to walk around. Like that was the norm, like the cultural norm. That's what you do. But Jesus didn't do that. He said he had to go. So it wasn't exactly this traveling necessity that he had to go through Samaria because really the normal way was this way, but he had a divine appointment that day. He had a divine appointment, not some kind of traveling necessity. And that's what we see. And then we land here in verse seven and we see that Jesus is resting on this historical well this historical well that this guy named Jacob built and made with his own hands. And so as we look at this passage, and we're, and we're going to start uh, our search here in verse 7. But as we look at this, uh, I, want, I want you guys to write these two things down if you're a note taker. So the first thing is our textual idea of what's going on here. We see that as Jesus rests in a Samaritan village, he encounters a woman at Jacob's water well. And here he reveals himself as the spring of eternal life the Christ. So that's a lot of words, right? You're like, but here's the thing I really want you to write down. This is our main idea, is that Jesus is not a source, he's the source. And I've said it before, but I want you to write it down. Jesus is not a source, he is the source. And so this morning in this passage, we're going to look at four ways in which Jesus is necessary for our soul, that Jesus is necessary for our soul. So the first thing that we see in verses seven to 10 is that Jesus satisfies our soul. Jesus alone satisfies our soul. So let's look at this here at verse, starting in verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and and he would have given you living water. Now, it's so interesting to see how such a simple question that Jesus asked, such a simple question revealed the cultural tension that was happening here, This cultural tension of Jews and and Samaritans. But I wanna make sure that we do not miss the language that Jesus is using, this language of living water. Okay, this language is language that's used in Jeremiah. So if you look at Jeremiah 2.13 or 17.13, you see that God references himself as the living water. And you have Jeremiah saying that Israel has forsaken the Lord, has forsaken the living water. They have found their satisfaction in something else or someone else rather than finding their satisfaction in the Lord. They're not, they were not satisfied with what the Lord was doing, even though the Lord is all they needed for themselves, for their soul, for what they needed. And this is the language that Jesus is pointing to, saying, I am the God of Israel. I am the God of the Old Testament. And he also uses this language of the gift of God. I don't want us to miss this, because with this language, he's practically saying here in verse 10, if you look at it with me, it says, if you knew that I, the Lord, was the gift of God, if you knew that I was him, and that I, the Lord, am the one asking you for a drink, you would ask me, the Lord, And I would give you of myself this living water. You know, it's so fascinating to see that Jesus started with asking this practical question of like, hey, can you give me a drink to satisfy the thirst in my mouth? And he ends with, I want to give you a drink to satisfy the thirst of your soul. Satisfy the thirst of your soul. Man, so many times, so many of us, including myself, we try to find the satisfaction, try to be satisfied by things in this world. And truly, we long to be satisfied by something. Our souls long to be satisfied. And so what I want to make sure that we get is that why do we look to creation to be satisfied rather than looking to the creator? We look to creation to satisfy us in a way that only the creator can. And that's something we have to realize this morning. So as we look at this, that Jesus alone satisfies our soul and this response that he gave the woman, like Jesus could have responded in many ways. He could have tackled the cultural things that she was saying and all this kind of stuff. And and I think Jesus does talk about that. But in this particular passage, he is looking at the posture of her heart. And so in this gospel adventure that we're in, I think we really have to notice the posture of our gospel adventure. We must notice the posture of our gospel adventure. So, you know, Jesus asked a simple question to her. Hey, will you give me a drink? Well, I hope that us, that if Jesus were to ask us a simple question of give me a drink or give me your time or give me your resources or give me this one thing, I hope that our posture is of humility. I hope that our posture is like, yes, Lord, I will give that to you. Instead of a posture of pride and a posture of, privilege, and a posture of of selfishness. I hope that's not us this morning. And so we've seen here in these couple of verses that Jesus alone satisfies our soul. In the next couple of verses, we see that Jesus alone sustains our soul. Jesus alone sustains our soul. And so we look at here uh, in verse 11, it says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is so deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock and the cows that he had? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, my goodness. This is just so incredible. And to really understand what's going on here, because the, the, the Samaritan woman is like, okay, are you really telling me that, like, you're greater than the guy who dug this with his bare hands? Are you really telling me that you're, you're, you're giving a better water than, than, than he's given us? Because the water he's given us has sustained us for a long time. He has sustained our lives. He's sustained our crops. He has given us the ability to live. Because in these times, and, and I hope for our times, as too, water equals life. Now, I know sometimes that doesn't make a lot of sense because for us, like, life equals Dr. Pepper, not water. And we're always like, hey, hey, water-based, water-based. And I'm like, okay, but it's not water, all right? But for them, water was life, absolute life. And so what she's really saying is like, so you're telling me that you give greater life than the life that we have. And Jesus is like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that is right, correct, thank you, good job, gold star. But the thing is, is that this specific language that Jesus is using has been prophesied even from the time of Zechariah. So in Zechariah 14, 18 through 19, it talks about that there will one day be this living water that flows out of Jerusalem from the east to the west, covering all of the world. And this is such a beautiful and direct picture and foreshadowing of Jesus. Now, when he sacrificed himself on the cross there in Jerusalem, he's the one who shed his blood throughout the whole world to say, look, I'm here for you. My presence is here now, all over. I'm here. The water that Jesus gives sustains us for eternity. And this is what he says right here. He goes, this water will sustain you for like this long. And you have to come back and come back and come back and draw it and work and draw it. But the water I give you sustains you for eternity. This living water, this eternal water sustains you for eternity. And though Jesus in, in, uh, in the gospels and everywhere else, he, though he does look at the physical need of people and the physical reality for people, he always takes, takes a step further. He takes a step further and says, look, yeah, you have physical need and there's a physical reality, but I want to be here for also your spiritual reality. I'm not just here for the physical things, but I need you to look with me at the soul, at the spiritual reality of things. And so when I think of Jesus being the sustainer, okay, of our soul, I cannot help but look at Colossians 1, chapter 17, or Colossians 1, verse 17. And there in Colossians 1, it says this, that Jesus himself holds all things together, because it's talking about Jesus, that he holds all things together, and I love how the Spanish translates this, and, and really quickly, I'm going to translate it from Spanish to English to you, where it says this, where Jesus himself... Holds all things together, yes, but He is the one who makes all things to continue to exist. It is through him that all things continue to exist. Isn't that so beautiful? That is something worth celebrating, like, Lord, thank you that you are the one that holds the world together, yes, but because of you, all the world, all the universe, and me and myself continue to exist. Wow. Thank you, Lord, that you sustain us. Amen. That you sustain me. You sustain my soul. So Jesus is the one that sustains our soul, and I can't help but see the power in that. And so I hope that we notice the power of our gospel adventure. Because we do. We must notice the power of our gospel adventure. And it's not the strength in us, it's not the power of just ourselves, but it is the Lord himself, the spirit in us that's in us and with us and goes through us and is beyond us and really is power that works in spite of us. That is the power of God, the power of our gospel adventure. You know, I've shared this story before, and this might be the last time I share it just because I feel like I've shared it so many times with you guys. But I should have been born dead or deformed. There is no human reason why I should be on this stage right now. It is only because of the power of God that I can stand before you as a functioning human being, as someone who can, who can, who can just do all the things that I do. Like, there's no way humanly possible that I should be here. I should have been dead or deformed. And I'm so thankful for how the Lord has saved me physically, but also spiritually. And that is the power of God. And I hope that we remember that, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we have that power. And we are to be agents and ambassadors for Christ, agents of healing, agents who cast out evil, agents who raise up disciples. That is who we are to be. That is us because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God. And so we see that Jesus alone satisfies our soul. Jesus alone sustains our soul. And next we see that Jesus alone sees our soul. He sees our soul. If you look kind of at the beginning of chapter 4 again, you see that the woman came at noon. She came in the middle of the day and she came alone. And that was not actually the typical thing. The typical thing was to come in the morning with a group of women. And so we see, okay, what is going on? And so we read here in verse 15. This is where we get this from, so if you look with me, it says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. You have no husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see now that you are a prophet. And so you can see that there's so much shame, shame associated with the woman, and that's why she wanted to come alone. That's why she wanted to uh, go in the day rather than in the morning because she knows she might get criticized by the other women that were there. You see, Jesus reveals the shame, He reveals the darkness of the woman. He reveals the deepest, darkest parts of who she is, what she's done, and what she's doing. And he does that because he's like, I see you, and I see your soul. I see who you are, and I've seen what you've done. And it was in this moment where where she realized, the Samaritan woman was like, okay, yeah, you're not just a normal guy that, that, you know, wants to uh, satisfy the thirst that I have, that I have to keep going to this world, but you're something so much more than that. You're someone who wants to sustain me and and satisfy me spiritually, not just physically. You know, I can't imagine how seen and how valued this woman must have felt. Because in this culture, you see that people overlooked other people all the time for various reasons. Whether it be uh, one thing or another, they just overlooked them. And we even see that when we looked at Bartimaeus, when the disciples just overlooked Bartimaeus on the side of the street. But Jesus didn't, he saw him. He saw bottomless, and he saw this woman, again, not just physically, but spiritually. So I can't imagine how valued maybe that woman must have felt when she was like, oh, my goodness, this man that's offering me eternal life has just told me that he sees all the deepest, darkest parts of me, and he still wants to give that to me. And so Jesus right here is saying, in spite of how dark you think your life is, despite the amount of times you think you've messed up, The gift of the eternal life that I have, this eternal water, is still for you. Guys, that for me today, this morning, is so hard to say. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason why is because I know of people that have personally hurt me so much and that have personally showed how dark they can be. There are people that I know that I've personally demonstrated the darkest of darkest. And it's so hard sometimes as human beings to realize, man, the Lord still loves you. The Lord is still with you and wants you to have this eternal life. But it's true. And I have to swallow my own pride for that. But I have to tell you, it's hard to say, even though it is a reality And I'm thankful because I myself am dark. I myself have deep and dark things that I have to surrender to him. And so the Lord sees our soul. And that's a beautiful thing. But that's also kind of a scary thing. And so as we walk in our gospel adventure, I hope that we notice and that we see that really we must notice the people in our gospel adventure. We must notice the people in our gospel adventure. But maybe before we begin to see other people, we have to see ourselves. And so I wanna give a moment and take a moment to ask you maybe if Jesus were to ask you this question that revealed the darkness in your life, what would he see? What would he see if Jesus asked you this piercing question that revealed the darkness in you? And I wanna give you just a moment to think about it. Just a moment. Didn't take you very long, did it? You probably thought about it just like this. And because we're human, you probably thought of someone else and their darkness. That's just how we are. But the thing is, is that it is so true and it is a fact that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that we are saved. That is the truth. We are saved by him. And thank you. Yes, clap. That is worth clapping. Yes. Because it is not anything that we have done. It is everything that he has done that we are saved. And Lord, I am dark and they are dark and it's hard to swallow that, but man, you see us and you save us. Now, I wanna be clear here for a moment. Jesus didn't just come to save us and just leave us. He came to save us and transform us into new creations. Yeah. You know why? Because he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, hey, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven, to be in the kingdom of heaven, to be in the kingdom of God. You have to be transformed again, given a new heart. And the thing is, is that we must realize that transformation because I'm a little afraid that we have created a culture on accident. I'm a little afraid that we have created a salvation culture rather than a gospel culture. Now, this is what I mean by that. A salvation culture, what it does is it cultivates something in us, and it cultivates this statement of, like, you just have to make a decision, and you're okay. Well, I think following Jesus is more than just a decision. A gospel culture is so much more profound and so much more rich because, yes, the Lord has saved us. We've made this decision. But it is following him. It's not being a decider. It's being a disciple. That's what it is. The thing is is that we have to walk in this gospel adventure, this gospel culture. And, and church, I want you to write this down with me. Write this down, because this is for us today, is that we are not just a body of deciders. We are a body of disciples. We are not just a body, church body, of deciders a body of disciples who value our time with the Lord, who value learning more about him, who value following him at all costs. And as disciples, I hope that we notice the pleasure of our gospel adventure. We must notice the pleasure of our gospel adventure. There's so much joy when it comes to following the Lord. There's so much joy and it's not gonna be perfect. We're not perfect. But it's going to be so incredible to walk with him day in and day out. And it's going to be so, and it really is so beautiful to sit with someone and to have the veil come off their eyes and, and just like the twinkle in their eyes when they realize, oh, my goodness, it is through faith and putting my trust in Jesus in which I'm saved. And I don't have to keep working at it. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool to see those things. It's such a joy to see this life transformation of someone going from death to life from death to life. There is no shame in walking with the Lord. There is no shame. When we look at Romans 1, verse 16, it talks about how we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that saves us when we believe. That is nothing to be ashamed about. And I hope we are not walking in that. And I hope that we realize that we are cleansed and we no longer have to walk in shame because the Lord has cleaned us. He really has. And so this is how I want to end this morning. This is, I, I think this is just how we got to end. I want to ask you guys a question. Are you tired? Yeah. Do you want to give up? Probably. Are you someone who just wants to stop fighting? Are you someone who just wants to throw in the towel? Are you someone who is just like, man, I just don't know if I can believe, my, believe in myself anymore? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is here right now. In verse 26, he says, that Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I am the Lord, I am the Christ. And you know what he says? He's saying that he's the Lord. And so if you're tired of giving up, if you're tired of trying, can I say something with a lot of love and with a lot of grace, if that's okay? Stop trying. Give up. Do it. Give up. Yeah. Stop following your own will. Stop following your own heart. Just do it. Stop believing in yourself. Stop following your heart and start following the one who created your heart. Surrender who you are to the one who has created you. Lean on him, surrender to him. Stop trying and look at him. Because really, what I want us to do today is surrender. Surrender to the one who sees your soul. Surrender to the one who satisfies your soul. Surrender to the one who saves your soul. Surrender to the one who sustains your soul. Surrender to him. And man, don't check out. Man, don't log off the computer. Stay with me and respond and surrender to him because there might be some non-believers in here. There might be some believers in here. There might be some people who are like, okay, am I a decider? Am I really a disciple? What does that look like? Surrender. That's our response, surrender. So let's pray together. Lord, at this moment, we acknowledge you as the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of all things, visible and invisible. Lord, thank you so much that it is through you that we are no longer in the dominion of darkness, but we are brought into the kingdom of light. Lord Jesus, I pray that this would be a time in which we truly do surrender, understanding that you are Lord above it all, that you are the Almighty Triune God, that who you say you are is true. Lord, give us an urgency in our souls to be satisfied by you. God, forgive us when we have turned away like Israel, and has found and we found satisfaction in the creation rather than the creator. But we take time to repent, but we also take time to thank you and to glorify you that we, all we have to do is stop trying and look at you and say, Lord, you have done the work. I lean on you, I surrender to you. I'm not gonna follow my own heart. I'm gonna follow the one who created my heart because I am weak and you are strong Lord, I pray, God, that your spirit would move in the hearts of every single individual listening, whether it's in the United States, whether it's in Colombia, whether it's in Germany, wherever people may be listening, God, that they would respond to you in this time. We praise you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen.